Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today on the show, we continue our series on the films of Terrence Malick with a look at his 2005 film, The New World. Bethany Worden is here for this entire series, and as always, she has a lot of wonderful thoughts about Malick and this film. Stick around. Before we get into the show, a quick plug for our Patreon. If you like what you hear and want even more, you can get bonus episodes, extended episodes, video episodes, and ad-free episodes all by subscribing to our Patreon, and not to mention it really helps out the show financially as well. And a new bonus, I'm very happy to announce, patrons can now get 15% off in the Art House Garage web store, where we have all kinds of cool cinema-themed t-shirts, coffee mugs, tote bags, and other great stuff. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, check out patreon.com slash arthousegarage and become a patron today. And you can also find that link in the show notes. Welcome to Arthouse Garage. First of all, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. If you're listening to this episode on the day of its publication, then it's October 10th, 2022, which just became a federal holiday last year in 2021. It's a day to celebrate and honor Native American people and their cultures. And although it was not intentional, today's film ties in very nicely to the holiday. Terrence Malick's The New World is primarily about Pocahontas, the famous Native American woman who was part of the Powhatan people and the short but significant life she led. If you are looking for something to watch this Indigenous Peoples Day, The New World is not a bad option, but there are also a number of recent films and TV series with Native Americans, both behind and in front of the camera, that you should check out as well. There's actually been a bit of a surge in Native American representation lately, and hopefully it will continue to grow as Hollywood is slowly starting to reflect the diversity of the real world. I've linked an article in the show notes that highlights some recent examples of indigenous stories you can check out. As for myself, I think I'm finally going to check out uh, Reservation Dogs. It's a show I've heard so many good things about. Taika Waititi is one of the producers. It's set in a reservation in Oklahoma. It's supposed to be hilarious. It's won a lot of awards, so it's a great excuse for me to finally start watching that one. One other note before we get into today's film, this is the 100th episode of Art House Garage. I'm not doing anything special, really, to mark the occasion, but I will just briefly say that I really love doing this show. When I started, I didn't know how far I would get, so I'm thrilled that I've made it this far, and the show has opened up so many doors for me and allowed me to meet so many great people. Not to mention, it's given me an excuse to watch some truly wonderful films. So, however long you've been listening, thanks so much for tuning in, and here's to 100 more. Alright, let's get back into Malick. We started this series two weeks ago with a look at Terrence Malick's 1978 film, Days of Heaven, and today we're turning to 2005 and his film, The New World. The New World tells the story of Pocahontas and the settlement of Jamestown and Pocahontas' interactions with John Smith and John Rolfe. This film is beautifully shot, and as Bethany and I will discuss more later in the episode, you can see Malick settling into a style of filmmaking that he'll continue on with for the next several films, both visually and in the sound design, including his unusual use of narration. 
My guest for this series is Bethany Worden. She's the Director of Storyteller Support and Advocacy for the company Define American, and she's a huge Terrence Malick fan. If you haven't heard her on the podcast before, I encourage you to go back and hear her discuss the film Arrival in Episode 71 or Days of Heaven just back in Episode 98. If you know anything about the historical figure of Pocahontas, then there's not much to spoil about this film. We do talk about the entire film, including the way it ends, but again, it's hard to call it a spoiler. If you want to listen but not hear about the ending, just tune out when you hear me say, okay, let's talk about the ending, which I do near the end of this podcast. Okay, that's enough from me. Here is the trailer, followed by my discussion with Bethany Worden about Terrence Malick's 2005 film, The New World. Bethany Worden, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Doing well. So fun to be back. Yes. Excited to get into some more Malik stuff. I will get into today's movie in, in just a second, but I'm really glad that I watched this again. I think I had mentioned that I'd watched it like way back when it came out and was, you know, a very different person then and not, not as into movies for one thing. And so, yeah, I really uh, had a new, a very different experience with it this time. But anyway, before we do that, I want to see if there's anything else you've been watching lately you want to just say you like or don't like or anything um i feel like there's so much good tv right now that i'm having a hard time like staying up on everything Mm. um i have been dipping my toe into the rings of power which Ah, okay all right not usually like a big fantasy person but of Mm. course i love lord of the rings like everyone who was a teenager in the early 2000s (laughs) <laughs> it's a formative experience yeah. those films um and so i've been enjoying the tv series i think i've made it to like the fourth episode and it seems like the story is finally going somewhere um mm-hmm. but even even if you don't come for the story i mean come for the costumes and cinematography and the worlds they mm-hmm. build pretty incredible yeah that's that's cool to hear because i have not watched it yet but it, i plan to but i heard someone say recently that the first three episodes it just keeps adding more and more plot lines and characters and stuff and finally episode four they mentioned was where the story really kind of kicks in so that's good to know you know going into it to like get not get through that but yeah that is such a world building thing and if it feels at all like the old movies then 
I think I will really enjoy it. Um, I was going to mention another fantasy show, which is the other fantasy show on right now, which is the new Game of Thrones, uh, House of the Dragon. Uh, it was it was kind of like my wife and I were like, which one should we watch first? And we kind of like probably only have time for one right now in between Lord of the Rings and and this one. And uh, we chose this and I really do like it. It's um, I saw a tweet, too, that was kind of comparing the two and it was like. I'm not going to word it as funny as this tweet was, but it was basically like uh, Game of Thrones is like, okay, let's see who's, you know, having incest this week. And then <laughs> Lord of the Rings is like, uh, our neighbor has some stew. You know, it's just like, that's such a different kind of a feeling of these two fantasy worlds. But I have been enjoying House of the Dragon. It's interesting compared to Game of Thrones that it's moving very quickly. Like we're getting four years later, 10 years later, kind of time jumps. So it's, we're hitting a lot of things, but I think the characters are pretty well done and uh, definitely similar to maybe the way the show, Lord of the Rings show is. It's kind of, you feel like you're back in that world. It's got the same music and stuff. Um, so it is kind of fun. And and it's, you know, I think most people were disappointed with the end of Game of Thrones, but it is, uh, I think this is a good way to kind of get back into it. But yeah, it's just as intense and, you know, gross in all the same ways as game of thrones was uh so be aware of that for anyone who wants to watch it but yeah i've been i've been enjoying that i think that's seven episodes in six or seven and i think we're caught up so yeah that sounds really interesting yeah i um i'm i'm surprised to hear that they do so many time jumps because i feel like game of thrones moved so slowly like sometimes it felt like real time Mm -hmm. and so like to do big time Mm -hmm. jumps that sounds really interesting yeah, so I know it's based on one book, and I, so I don't know if they're doing one season or two seasons or what. I'm sure that information is out there, and I just don't know. But I, it's going to be definitely shorter than eight seasons, I think, unless they, you know, go way off book or something. But yeah, I think the characters they've brought in are are interesting, and uh, it has a lot of echoes because you know it's it's set 200 years before, I think the maybe more than that. I can't remember the the events of the Game of Thrones series. But anyway. Uh, it's a good time for fantasy people, I think, just because there's a lot, a lot going on. But yeah, all right. Well, let's talk about Terrence Malick then. Um, so this film, The New World, came out in 2005, I believe. And uh, yeah, I'm curious, just for off the bat, how is this amongst your, uh, you know, Malick's films? Is this one of your favorites of his, or not so much, or how do you compare this to Malick's other films? Well, I think I mentioned last time that it's it's the first Malik film that I saw. Uh, so oh, I think right, because right. of that, it sort of holds like a special place because it sort mm-hmm. of introduced me to the filmmaker, introduced me to the themes mm-hmm. that he explores, um, introduced me to Emmanuel Lubieski, which is like mm-hmm. now a lifelong love affair <laughs> with that <Yeah. laughs> cinematographer. Um, so I feel like there is, for me, this was a lot of um, introduction when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it always feels special because of that. I think, you know, as I've watched more films and as, you know, his own filmmaking has kind of developed and shifted over the years, I don't think this one remains like a favorite. Um, mm-hmm. but it still does feel very special. And, um, you know, once again, sort of an introduction to yeah. so many of my now favorite things. Yeah, that's really cool. And yeah, I read a little bit just about you know, looking at his filmography generally, you know, he had Badlands and Days of Heaven and then this 20 year break. And, and we talked last time about Days of Heaven sort of as an introduction to like 
maybe his style a bit more than Badlands was. Um, but then the Thin Red Line a few years before this, which I have not seen, but I understand it's so- somewhat different from like this film. Um, and so this feels like what I read was that this this film kind of kicks off if Days of Heaven was like, who is Malik as a filmmaker? What are we going to expect from him? This one was almost like this new section of his career it was sort of like you can very clearly feel this going into tree of life. And I think from there on with the nature photography and Emmanuel Lebesky and all of that. Um, so yeah, that was interesting for me. So I guess this was technically also the first Malik film I ever saw, but as I mentioned before, like I didn't know who he was. I don't even remember if I watched the whole thing. I remember thinking, Oh, we're watching some long Pocahontas movie as a family. And I don't think I like, you know, again, I was very young and wasn't that into it. So I'm so glad that I revisited this time and, really really liked it a lot um yeah having seen tree of life a few times now again can definitely feel the connection the connective tissue there and some of the the, i watched some of the criterion supplements for this and someone like the editor says some of the same things about like developing the style that he would later use uh even more with tree of life and having to do with the, the voiceover narration and some of those other things too but I really loved this film a lot more than I kind of thought I would. Um, I, you know, I knew about it, but uh, yeah, I really like with days of heaven, you kind of get swept into this world and, um, and it's a very well-realized kind of period piece. Like the setting I think is so uh, it's a really interesting part of history that, um, you know, everyone just knows the Disney movie Pocahontas and um this this is not like you know to the letter historical but it's much closer than that is surely and so it's interesting to kind of feel the spirit of the time a bit more uh and really kind of fall into it that way so yes i really really like this i'm really glad that um i was able to to revisit it today okay well i'm curious this time watching it first of all how many times do you think you've seen this film and then this time watching it was there anything that struck you that was kind of different from previous viewings I've probably seen it a half dozen times over the okay. you know, 16 years or so since it came out. Um, mm. And like all Malick films, every time I watch it, there's something different that sort mm. of sticks out to me. I think what I was really noticing this time um, is the myth that I think Malick is exploring. Mm. Um, so, of course, you know, Pocahontas and John Smith and John Rolfe were all real people, but their story is very uh, hotly debated about what actually Mm. happened. We have an account Mm. from John Smith. We have some other colonists, settlers at the time, their account. There's, there's a few accounts from um, indigenous communities in the, in the region about sort of that time. um, And they don't all match up surprise surprise and so sort of like the myth that has developed about john smith and pocahontas and that whole time um is is an enduring one in in sort of like american history i mean this is Mm -hmm. almost like 400 years in the making this myth and i think that 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 aspect of it really stuck out to me this time um you know especially as I think our country were really re-exploring a lot of the myths of our origins mm-hmm. and of who we are and what makes us America. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we have Indigenous Peoples Day coming up on Monday. And mm-hmm. so I just like had a lot of that in the back of my head um, yeah. as I was mm-hmm. watching this. And 
Um, you know, I think that myth kind of goes a few different ways. One, it's like very obviously a Romeo and Juliet story, which is interesting because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was first written by John Smith, you know, about the time of Shakespeare. So it's like really funny that yeah. that must have been like yeah, in the in the ether of the time, mm-hmm. this sort of like, um, you know, lovers from different worlds whose families are killing each other, you know, can they be together mm-hmm. or not? Um, there's that myth, you know, there's sort of the myth of, um, of the time of sort of like this virgin untouched world um, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. European settlers were like free to explore, you know, that the sort of like dismissal that there were already communities and villages and cities and, mm-hmm. you know, complex governments already in existence there. But the, the sort of yeah. like myth that, that the European settlers brought with them, that it was, you know, just beautiful and natural and untouched. And um, of course it is beautiful and natural, but <laughs> not untouched. Yeah. Like there are whole, yeah. whole communities and civilizations and, um, you know, long histories already there. So there's that myth. And then, and then there's also just like, um, the myth of, of the story at the center of Pocahontas and John Smith. And, you know, were they lovers? Were they friends? Like, did they save their communities? Um, you know, obviously it's been something that's really endured in the American imagination. And I, I wonder why, like, I think I came to this with like Mm. a lot of questions. Like, why is this a myth that we've to so closely yeah that's really interesting i like that that last bit especially thinking about like why is this story so enduring so looking through the the criterion book there's a few essays and things but there's a section that's just like um so malik wanted to not only you know touch on this historical story but also to kind of invoke a lot of the other arts and like po- there's there's a lot of poetry about pocahontas like written by poets you've heard of i'm trying to i don't know if i can name them off the top of my head but then there's a ton of um just paintings of this this era that apparently he you know gave to the crew and, and the people that were doing set design like we want to kind of capture some of these feelings so i thought that was so interesting i didn't know there was quite so much i mean particularly the poetry was surprising like there were um uh Michelle Michelle Lindsay I think is the name of one of them who I think he he's done some film criticism stuff but um like a turn of the century poet and had this long poem about um Pocahontas and Powhatan her father and uh yeah that, that is interesting that that stuck around uh the one of the paintings is um of Pocahontas when she goes before the king and queen which happens at the end of this film and uh, that what's striking about that is that the costume and how closely they recreated that particular painting uh in the film to see her her costume in that scene which is so elaborate and so much so so unlike anything else we've seen in the film the costumes in general especially for the Pocahontas character because you know she's wearing sort of her her native clothes and then when she first puts on European clothes it's like such a uh just shocking thing to see and it feels um like such a different you know uh experience for her and then going all the way to the the european court and or the king's court and what she wears there is so interesting so i really like the costuming in this um but yeah i like what you're saying too about the um the american myth you know we have days of heaven is such an american story in a way we talked about that uh, a kind of an immigrant story and this is an american story in a very different way but like a really important again part of the history for this part of the world and um yeah there's so much about this new world which could be um like uh, the christopher Plummer character i can't remember his name captain 
something or other who he he has a lot of he has a little bit of a speech about um he even says you know god wants us to take this land like this is a gift from god so we always had the faith stuff coming in i have more about that in a minute but uh, there's that aspect of it and they show up and they're so there's a guy has like some oysters and he's like, there's, there's a, like unlimited oysters. We're going to be rich or something along those lines. Like it's such an excitement about this new undiscovered world, undiscovered quote unquote. Um, and then as the film goes on, they are just miserable and like barely surviving winter and uh, starting to question, was this all a big lie? And then Christopher Plummer comes back and is like, there's a lot further we can go. Like this, this land keeps going. Um, so anyway, that all that I thought was really interesting. I was listening to a podcast the other day. They were, they were talking about the new film, Don't Worry Darling. And they, but they did a, it's film spotting. It's a podcast I really like. They did the top five utopias gone wrong. And I thought that was an interesting kind of setup, but they talked about, uh, avatar actually which you know sequels coming out soon so that's kind of in the air too and avatar a lot of people have pointed out is essentially the story of the disney pocahontas movie just kind of you know put in this different context so that was on my mind actually too and, and like we have this you know in a sense a utopia of before the the settlers get there and um like he when they when uh, john smith is in his narration is talking about um when he's like living in their village he's been taken cap captive but then he kind of lives there for a while and he uh says like they don't have a word for uh, lying or forgiveness or deceit like they he he has such a and maybe that's just his picture of it but they really uh it, it, there's this idea that they're an unspoiled before the europeans came which is really just interesting to see play out uh and so i like that aspect of it as well this time around well do you as far as the filmmaking goes are there any um anything that stands out to you about this one and then we, in days of heaven we talked a lot about kind of the look of it and the score of it and that kind of thing uh but you are generally i guess are a fan of the, the way this one is put together yeah i mean it's gorgeous uh, once mm -hmm. again this this is the first pairing of terrence malick and emmanuel lubieski and continues for several more films and it's obvious why like there's just such a very clear um synergy between the direction and the cinematography and um both of their love of all the natural light is <laughs> once again yeah. like very mm -hmm. present in this film it's so beautiful um i think that was like my main impression the first time i saw it and that has you know mm -hmm. stayed with me it's just how gorgeous um it is and how much there's like such a deep love of the land um mm -hmm just really infiltrating the whole film. Um, you know, whereas Days of Heaven is really focused on these sort of like golden um, fields mm -hmm. and golden skies and like leaning much more into like oranges and pinks. This one feels to me like it, it leans a lot more into greens and blues and browns mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just brings like a sort of like fertile earthiness um, that is mm -hmm. like pretty unique to this film i think yeah um yeah. i love how much time they spend in the water and on the water and under the water mm -hmm. and um you know once again a sort of lot of symbols there of like renewal and rebirth and freshness and all these things mm -hmm. that that come through so beautifully um and then i think some really stellar performances um yeah Kriyanka, Kilcher, I think that's how you say her name, who plays Pocahontas. Um, this is one of her first projects, and she just gives such an incredible performance, so much um, sort of quiet, gentle firmness, mm -hmm. 
um, in her mm-hmm. character as she's navigating all of these experiences that are, you know, really outside of um, her character's paradigm and, you know, with these often very hostile um, characters that she's playing against and she just brings this, like, really strong um, beauty uh, in every scene. Um, I think that something that's really interesting about about the voiceover narration in this film is, like, how much Mm -hmm. it switches between different characters. I think that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting directing choice and really gives us sort of multiple perspectives and and um, views into this story um it it feels really intimate that way i think that you kind of get to see like through the lens of all these different characters yeah i agree that was something i really keyed into because we talked so much about the narration last time and and it opens this actually might be a good time to talk about the different versions of this film too but the kind of the opening thing is pocahontas narrating and so I thought, okay, is she going to be the, the narrator through this whole film? And it very quickly changes where we have John Smith and John Rolfe later uh, giving voiceover narration too. Um, and in the, so there's a, there's a thing on the Criterion disc about the different versions. So I'll recap that really quickly. So there, what's called the first cut, which is like 150 minutes, about two and a half hours, which is what I watched because I was told it was the best one and I really liked it. Um, and so that, that was what they showed at its premiere. But they, it's interesting, you hear the story of this on this Criterion um, supplement. Uh, the editor's name is Mark Yoshikawa, and he has worked with Malik on a few things. There are actually four different editors that worked on this film, though. Um, I think he was sort of the last one. But he talked about they had gotten, like earlier in the week or even maybe that day or something uh, of the premiere, that he had, they'd gotten a note that they had to cut about 15 minutes out of the movie. And so he was at the premiere watching the, the first cut, which is the one that kind of like what they intended to put out. And he's as, as the premiere is happening, taking notes and what are we going to cut? We're going to cut this and this, which I thought was such an interesting just experience. And then he talked about um, afterwards, people are like, Oh, it's perfect. Don't change a thing. <laughs> like we know we have to already. Um, so then they go back and they cut out. Yeah. I think 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and mostly, so it shows some side-by-side things uh, in this supplement, and mostly it's just letting shots linger a little less, and that's that sort of thing. Um, I don't think it cuts a ton of, like, story stuff. It really just, there's so many kind of long, lingering shots in this that they just kind of cut snippets of that stuff mostly, I think. And then there's an extended cut, which is 172 minutes, which they, actually, I think when they were, doing at some point they they knew that they were going to be able to do an even longer cut at some point so i think that made it easier to okay we have to cut some of the stuff we really like but we're going to have an extended one that's um you know got everything we want and in that one it does have a few more sequences of pocahontas uh from what this uh little video feature told me and um it also it's seeing them side by side the color grading is actually a little different too like the color looks slightly different and I, I think that they, whenever this disc came out, they kind of restored that version. I don't know. I think maybe you could have bought a DVD of it before, but they restored it for the Criterion Blu-ray um, maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. And uh, so maybe one of these days I'll watch that one, but uh, I didn't didn't make the time this time. But all that to say, the yeah, the visuals are, are so good and there's so much, like, like Days of Heaven, like you said, just seeing the nature shots but it's a very different yeah very different setting very different color uh kind of scheme to it um not only like you said earthy because there's not only is there a lot of greens and blues of the water and the trees there's a lot of just mud and dirt too and like especially inside the fort like when it's when they're kind of at their 
their roughest points it's just like dirty they're just like living in mud and squalor um and it captures that feeling too which there's such a contrast between that and like the village that pocahontas lives in and how beautiful that is and uh, all the kind of their love scenes out in like these beautiful fields and and um, but there's also just tons of shots of just here's some birds flying here's this and that like what we had in days of heaven too just taking in the the nature natural environment to kind of build out the world of this film yeah hey if you are a podcaster or you've ever thought about starting a podcast listen up obviously i love podcasting i've been doing it since 2018 and now i can't imagine my life without this creative outlet but as rachel sinat's character reminded us in the recent film bodies 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 podcasting is hard not only do you have to do all the logistics of scheduling guests and developing the content of your shows there's a whole lot of technical stuff you have to handle also recording editing making the audio sound good making the video look good if you're doing video it can be overwhelming. That's why I started using Zencaster. It's an amazing tool for recording audio and video remotely without sacrificing quality. It's really easy to set up a virtual recording room, invite guests, and then all you have to do is hit record and start chatting. I'll tell you what I love about it too is the ability to do footnotes as you record. So if my dog barks while I'm recording and I need to remember to go back and edit around it, all I have to do is type a short footnote, like dog, and then I've got a timestamped reminder. I don't have to listen back to the entire episode anymore to edit my podcast thanks to that feature. That is a huge time saver for me. On top of that, Zencaster does automatic post-productions for audio and video, so you literally press a button and it spits out a file that's mixed and ready to go, and it all happens right in your web browser. There's a bunch more features you can see on their website, and there's even a free version so you can test things out. And best of all, at least for me, if I ever have any questions or issues, their customer support chat is always right there to help me so I never feel like I'm on my own. Go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code ARTHOUSE, that's A-R-T-H-O-U-S-E. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Um, one thing we talked about, and I think is going to continue to be a thing with Malik, is his sort of relationship with faith and spirituality and bringing those into his films. This one is less explicitly that way, but it's definitely there. And it's from kind of a different angle. And it's mostly from Pocahontas's point of view. Like that opening narration of her is, um, she, I can't, I wrote it down. Let me see. She says something about, uh, come spirit, help us sing the story of our land. So first of all, right off the bat, we're talking about the land, uh, but also, talking about the great spirit i'm thinking about like the disney movie she talks about the great spirit um but she also speaks to the the sun and the moon at different times and so it definitely feels like um just exploring kind of spirituality from a different angle in a way because i'm thinking about mostly tree of life there's so much uh you know western centric um I mean, it's in Texas, for goodness sake. It's like the Texas church and the evangelical church, really, in that film. And then in Days of Heaven, um, all the biblical allusions are there. Um, but everything feels very, yeah, like Christo, Christocentric, if that's the word, Judeo-Christian um, versus, 
getting a little bit of a different angle in this film. Although, of course, the Europeans are talking about God as well. And um, he, at one point when they when they're going to England, one of the natives says he's been sent to uh, to see this God. He's heard they they talk so much about like that's why he's going to England to to meet their God, which I thought was an interesting little touch because they they talk so much about God. Um, and uh, I think John Rolfe also something something in his courtship of her he he says uh i'm trying to remember exactly what it is but something about you know she's a gift from god and and you know how does that hit her ears it's such an interesting aspect of this story too but anyway yeah do you have any thoughts about the spirituality of this film yeah um i i i totally agree with everything that you said i think you know the sort of comparing and contrasting Pocahontas and her family's spirituality with sort of the colonists religious dogma I would say that they bring like more than a spirituality um you know there's some scenes like especially in the fort in the winter when everyone's going a little bit insane where there's Mm -hmm. like just like shouting like Leviticus and prophets at each other you know sort of like Mm -hmm. damning each other um uh whereas like with Pocahontas it really does feel like a really deep spirituality and like connection with um the supernatural with uh, with um the beauty and grace of the natural world um the sort of like honoring and gratitude of of um the natural world and of um you know the supernatural forces behind it um Mm. and I think that it's interesting the way that that sort of challenges John Smith and John Rolfe in different ways. Like, I think John Smith is really, like, fascinated by it and maybe, like, either fetishizes it or idealizes it, depending on your interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he he sort of, like, has that as part of what he talks about, the dream of Pocahontas, like, even more than Mm -hmm. she is, like, a person in and of herself, sort of, like, this ideal that he creates. And then for John Rolfe, it seems like he has more of a, he has an admiration for it, but also a kind of like, well, but we need to make this like acceptable, you know, we need to like get you baptized and we need to like have you be the good wife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. it seems like he's okay with it, like when it's on her own, but it doesn't seem like he's real okay with it, like being part of her public persona, you know, and. Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. there's times he seems like maybe a little bit uncomfortable um with her spirituality and her um, traditions um which i think is really interesting the way that the men in her life kind of respond to it yeah that's so true that's so one thing about that too and then i want to talk more about the kind of romance of it because I, i think that's a really big part of the film i forgot that she uh I think there's a historical that she has a, you know, Christian name, quote unquote, Rebecca. Uh, I was like, Oh yeah, she's got the name Rebecca. Kind of I, so much of this watching is like flashing back to like elementary school, learning this, this history. I haven't thought that much about it since then, which uh, I, I clearly need to, because it really is an interesting part of history and an important part of history, as we said. Um, but as far as the spirituality goes, one of the things when she, um, so He's not really dead, but she believes he's dead uh, after he's sailed away in her narration. As she kind of goes through this grieving, she puts ashes on her face and is sort of publicly grieving. And um, in her narration, it says, you have gone away. You have killed the God in me. 
I was like, oh, that's a that's a really interesting line and, and devastating to understand how much she's hurting. Because it's interesting too when he sails away, kind of without saying goodbye. It seems like um, he's very upset. We see him like turn a table over, like he he knows he had his duty is to to do this and he can't be with her. And then we just see her like watching the boat leave, and she's just devastated and she's crying and crying. But then when she learns that he's dead, her face is just kind of stony. And and we're like, how? I, I was like, how is she going to react to this? And then we get the grieving and all of that. Yeah. So that's, I think that's handled really well. But yeah, mm-hmm. that part of the the spirituality of it. But then also I was remembering um, John Smith's narration has something about, he doesn't really talk too much about God until he, he's in trouble. And he's like, his narration is like, I haven't paid enough attention to you, God, please help us now. Um, which is just kind of a funny thing. But yeah, on the subject of the narration, um, one thing that was in this this that this editor talked about is like this is really where he developed especially in the extended one so he talks and there's like some clips of this played but um there's a lot of the voiceover narration where it's almost like you're reading a journal which I mean, it's not exactly narrating the story it's just like um he said the the word they started using for it is like thought speak like it's really kind of their inner thoughts which you definitely see in tree of life where it's almost like prayers is his thoughts is it prayers kind of both and that's kind of what's happening here but then interestingly too, in apparently this is only kind of in the extended version, there is that thought speak, which is like you can you can tell clearly what he's saying and you can hear it. But then there would be another level of talking the more kind of whispered where you can almost barely make it out. And those would be just kind of layered on top of each other. So it's almost like this you're kind of in their head and just hearing you can't catch all the words, but you you definitely have this feeling that you're in their head. And at the same time, there might be diegetic dialogue happening, like he's talking to someone and you're hearing his thoughts at all at the same time, which is such an interesting um, way to do that. And I'm going to, next time I watch Tree of Life, I'm going to see if that sort of thing happens or as we get into Knight of Cups and on, uh, whether that's a continuing thing. But I thought that was a really interesting, uh, again, as narration continues to be part of his films and is just very... Uh, different than most other filmmakers use it I think yeah yeah I feel like this film really introduces a lot of the Malik style as we're talking about that kind of continues in the later films and I do think this this um, the use of voiceover has a shift here Um, and it sort of introduces the maybe visual poetry style of filmmaking Mm -hmm. that Malik goes Mm -hmm. real deep into into Tree of Life and then maybe uh continues and like to the wonder and knight of cups mm-hmm. um and i i mean that's one of the things that i really love about him is the way that he's willing to experiment with that and really trust the audience to pick up like what's mm-hmm. important because yeah not all mm-hmm. of the voiceover is very clear and like you're saying like often the voiceover is dissonant with what's happening in the scene and sometimes they're like actually mm-hmm people in the scene talking and there's voiceover happening and you're yeah. like who do I listen to like whose perspective <laughs> yeah. am I like going into yeah. and I just really appreciate that Malik trusts his audience to be able to like find their way through that and you know absorb yeah. all of those things and come out with an interpretation or a yeah. feeling or you know yeah that, that I think that exactly feeling is it's so much more about the feeling that that creates versus like any information that's being told like there is some information there that's maybe important but not always sometimes it's just the feeling of hearing these kind of inner prayers uh and, and again sometimes they are directed at the sun or the moon or to god um but then often it's just those kind of inner thoughts kind of musing about love and all of that sort of thing which uh so let's talk about the romantic part of it i so i remembered 
I, I thought John Rolfe would be here more, honestly, because I was like an hour 45 into this two and a half hours and he's still not here. Um, and so I, I just forgot kind of what the structure of this was. Um, but as you mentioned, I think, yeah, the, the actor who plays Pocahontas is so good uh, in this. And I really like Colin Farrell as well. And, and Christian Bale, I think all three of them do a really good job. Um, the, I mentioned the costumes earlier for Pocahontas that I think are really well done. And I think that's true across the board. I did have the feeling this is maybe just kind of silly, but like Christian Bale is a very handsome guy. Colin Farrell is like pretty, like like he's almost too pretty for this movie sometimes. Like all these rugged men and he's over here looking like sexy Jesus kind of with his like perfect beard and everything. Yeah. And their outfits always exposing their arms and chest. Like it's like very, very intentional. So I, I feel like that could have been maybe handled. He looked, could have looked a little rougher and it maybe it would have been good, but I did think the chemistry that they had was really good. And so, yeah, that's an interesting question. You talk about like him kind of fetishizing her as, you know, this, this other, and this new thing. Um, and so I, I could definitely, the first time I watched this, I wasn't thinking about like power dynamics, which is such a, you know, in the modern world is something we think about a lot more. Um, but I, I was thinking about that this time into it. Um, but we do hear from both of their perspectives, like the, the joy that they have in this relationship and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. And, and it was, it was focused on more than I remembered certainly. And I thought like, again, their chemistry really worked and um, like the, the romantic tension I thought was, really really well done like palpable in a way that um isn't always the case in movies um and and then she doesn't quite have that same spark with john rolfe like you see the why it kind of makes sense for her logistically and she even when he proposes she's like if that's what you want you know (laughs) which is like that scene is devastating for other reasons but um yeah just i think that the romance works and the star-crossed lovers romeo and juliet kind of vibe of it all uh really is effective i think yeah do you have any other thoughts about the kind of the romantic angle of this film i mean i this is one of the things that i go back and forth on like every time i watch Mm. it i think partially you know the age that i'm at you know affects how Mm. i'm interpreting it but what we're talking about in the world i think affects how i'm reading it um i do appreciate that i don't think malik makes it really clear if these are like healthy happy relationships or not but really Mm -hmm. leaves it up to us to kind of infer what we want from it um yeah you know I think that this sort of exploration of the dichotomy between like the passion that John Smith and Pocahontas Mm -hmm. demonstrate um on screen versus sort of like this quiet tenderness uh, between John Rolfe and Pocahontas and their relationship and how that like continues to develop over the course of their relationship, how much Pocahontas feels like she can trust him and rely on him and um, interpret his sort of calm steadiness as love. I think that like the exploration of that is really interesting. Um, I do think that that proposal scene is like one of the most devastating <laughs> proposals mm-hmm. in film. Um, just the like they're standing in the rain and he asks something like, what would you say if I proposed mm-hmm. to you? Which is like, you know, the ultimate cop out, like not even <laughs> yeah, putting his heart way. on the line. Um, and, you know, there's obviously like not the passion between them that we saw with mm-hmm. her and John Smith. And 
yeah, that she doesn't seem like that excited about it, but it seems like probably a good idea. Um, you know, going from that to sort of like um, the way that she like leans on him and leans into him um, after she sees John Smith at the end of the story mm-hmm. um, and sort of like that development, I think is really um, beautiful. And um, I think maybe that's what I gravitated towards this time in the film, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as yeah. a, I think I first saw it when I was like 20 or something, you know, I'm like in a different place. Like I'm maybe looking for yeah. different kinds of love than, than yeah. um, sort of the passionate young uh, romantic Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I like that, that Malik gives us like those different pictures and kind of leaves it up to us to decide, you know, which yeah. one was like the true love. Yeah. That's a really good way to say that. And I, so I love that scene that you're talking about at the end when she's gone for this walk with John Smith after all these years. And uh, then Christian Bell's just kind of like sitting around waiting. And then she kind of sneaks up on him and kind of grabs his arm without him seeing that she's coming and like the look on his face like that's a really just wonderfully performed moment i think by christian bale because like i'm getting emotional thinking about like the relief and like the the sense of um just love that he he clearly does feel for her uh even if you know as we mentioned it's not the passionate and all of that one thing about the passionate love though is that there was a line that i really liked that i wrote down and it's it's an idea that kind of is revisited a couple times it's like when he's with her and then he has to be away from her uh, back at the fort and, and he's he yeah he mentions that it was like a dream he's like now i've woken up this is real life then he has he says something when they get back together again um there's something there's something i remember when i'm with you that i forget when i'm away and i think that is a really good line just to to capture the feeling of like being with someone that um just makes you feel like a different person in a way or like in it and it opens up a new side of you or something like that uh, i think that's a, a a nice bit of writing but but yeah that is interesting that you can you can really look at their relationships and see the the positives of both and, and maybe at different parts of your life like you're saying yeah um so on the technical side of this film i again like you said like visually looks so good i think all the performances are very good um and i think it's cool that there's something in the credits about like native american casting and like there's such so many different um native characters that uh, we get to know to differing degrees and i think that's something in the extended version is so we see a, a scene with him uh when he's living in the village john smith and he's kind of cutting loose and they're like imitating animals and like he's kind of quote unquote growing out <laughs> with the, the men of the village that there's a, a one kind of male character that i think is a there's more screen time given to their relationship in the extended one is what what part of the supplements told me but uh one other thing so i mentioned like i think the only two knocks against this film i could possibly have one is colin farrell being just a little too uh pretty as we said but then also the um the score i think is fine and it's 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 it feels a bit more maybe bland or generic than what we have with days of heaven and what i remember from tree of life which i think tree of life has a lot more just like classical existing music incorporated um but for this i did i can i was listening back to it as i was working today i was like yeah it just doesn't quite have the same and then i switched back to the days of heaven score I was like this one's so good so yeah that's my only other kind of nitpick i don't think it's bad but it's just not quite as uh you know an eye-catching or ear-catching thing as some of the others yeah um like every malik film there's rumors about what happened in production and there is a rumor mm. about the score that supposedly James Horner delivered the entire score before the film was edited so that Malik could edit to the score. 
and then mm. we all know about Malik's notorious editing processes, yeah. <laughs> which you also elucidated for this film in particular. And apparently mm. in the many, many, many edits that this film went through, um, that score just got hacked up into nothing. And mm. that like James supposedly like James Horner almost didn't want his name on it because he was like, this was not wow. like my score anymore. So that like that's, there's like tension there mm. in that collaboration in this film in particular. Yeah that's very good to know yeah because it does it seems almost everything else in the film is really creative and feels inspired in a way that the score just doesn't exactly so that that kind of adds up in a way uh yeah wow wow that's really cool well i think the only other thing i definitely want to talk about is the very ending of the film um which as you're talking about the scene with john smith and everything popped back into my head and kind of the way (laughs) the ending made me feel in a very kind of bittersweet sort of a way um just to recap it briefly there in England, she's gone. She's been summoned to see the King and Queen has this big moment. And then John Smith is there and reconnect. And then from there, pretty abruptly, we, we see uh, John Rolfe with their child and it's his narration. And he says something about, she fell deathly ill. And then it's them sailing back to the new world without her and we see like one shot of her like sick in bed and then an empty bed so like we see that she's she's died and um that's probably again a part of the history that i just had forgotten that that's how that played out but and then it kind of ends the last little section is just nature shots and some really kind of hopeful music which um in the moment i was like why is this music so happy i'm feeling really devastated and the this kind of it's it gives you the kind of that bittersweet ending so yeah that was my feeling about it is uh it's a bit abrupt uh, when this whole film has been really centered on her i wish that maybe there'd been more attention given to it um even so i was really upset by it uh, again having forgotten the history and then it and kind of ends pretty quickly from there but Sorry if I stole your thunder. What were you going to say about the ending there? No, I, I agree with you um, completely. It's it's so abrupt. And I go back and forth between like wanting more and also like appreciating the abruptness of it because mm. supposedly that's actually what the end of her life was like. They, in the historical account, they actually like board the ship to return to the new world and they don't even get mm. off the coast of um, England before she gets sick and they have mm. to turn around and take her back and she dies and it's she was in her early 20s like it was a very abrupt ending to a short but incredibly impactful life and mm. um, I really appreciate that they like include the end in the in this telling of the story I think it sort of marks once again the, the just the tragedy of of this whole story and also the displacement that she's not buried in her homeland Mm -hmm. this land that she like obviously loves so deeply um and that she's you know forever separated from it um i think is really powerful yeah we get a shot of the grave even yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so she's to this day still buried in the uk wow and it, as you mentioned too, like it doesn't depict her being on the ship but the way it's worded in his in john ross narration is something like she got sick out of the port of wherever. Um, and so that, that was, that, that clears that up for me too. Um, 
but yeah, and, and then yeah, seeing the grave in the UK, it was like that shot too. I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't even get to go back. And then, and then the fact that they go back without her is really interesting too. Like, there's part of me that thinks, wouldn't you just stay in England at this point? Um, but I guess he has this sort of pioneer spirit or something that he wants to go back. But yeah, uh, I, I had forgotten until you just said that too, just how young she was as well. That I mean, that tracks with the story that we see in the film and. Um, yeah, very, very devastating ending. Um, but it, it does feel a bit abrupt, as I mentioned, but I do think it's probably the best way to end it. I mean, the other option would be to like drag out, first of all, we don't know historically exactly how that went probably, but just drag it out into an emotional thing, which is not Malik's style, certainly. Um, but yeah, it does, it does sort of honor the, maybe the historical Pocahontas in that way. So Anyway, I'm kind of repeating everything you just said and agreeing with it. But yeah, I think that was well put. Well, anything else we need to cover about the new world before we wrap up and look to next time? Uh, I think the only thing I'd add, you know, we talked about sort of the way myth is so central in this story. But I also think some of the other themes that Malik is exploring in this film in particular is longing and desire. And mm. what you long for and what you desire and how that forms who you are and how you live. Mm. Um, and I think it's, once again, there's lots of different ways to look at this story. Is it a historical account? Is it a mythology? Is it a, is it honoring to the Native communities? Like, there's many questions, I think, um, in this film. Um, but I think through all of those, like, these themes of longing and desire are really present and real. And even if there's ways that you don't like this film or think that it could have been better or more accurate or whatever the case may be. Um, I do think the way that um, Malik very honestly explores the way that those desires and passions um, move people to make decisions and, and how they want to live and who they want to live with and all of that um, is very powerful. Yeah. yeah, it definitely, you really feel, especially for John Smith, like the, you know, duty versus love kind of, um, inner turmoil uh in a way that i think really 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 worked well here which again like that that is such a compelling part of the story again like the disney version of the story that's the whole thing basically and of course it wraps up into a happier ending for uh family friendly audiences but um I, i'm curious to watch that again because it's been a long time since i saw that too just with this in mind uh maybe i'll throw that on with the kids at some point soon but well Next time, we're going to look at the film Night of Cups, which I have not seen, and I know pretty relatively little about, um, so I'm I'm going in pretty blind to it. I'm going to probably look over the cast and everything before that, but uh, this is sort of a period of, you know, I think as we've called it, underappreciated Malik films, so that's for one one reason I'm excited to get into it. It was was like, okay, Tree of Life happened, and then as I was just following, you know, movie news over the last decade or whatever, like another disappointment from Malik, another disappointment. It was kind of the the vibe that I heard, but then I know there are people who really like these and defend them too and, and pull different things out of them. So really excited to get into it for that reason. And I always say this, but we'll see, but maybe I can try to squeeze in another one just to have some mentions of song to song or to the wonder. We'll see. My life is busy, but I, I hopefully I can do <laughs> a, a, one other one. We'll see what happens. But yeah, uh, anything that we need to know about Nine of Cups, you think to prep us for that one or... Should we just go in uh, knowing relatively little? 
I mean, I think the less you know, the more of an experience it is. Um, I'm really yeah. excited to talk about it because, yeah, it is one of his controversial ones that I personally love. I'll bring the hot takes. Um, but um, <laughs> I know lots of people don't like it for very like mm-hmm. understandable reasons. So I'm looking forward to our discussion yeah. of it. Yes. You know what? I think I'm not going to look up the cast because I did a few weeks ago and I, I look up all his films. I'm always like, I can't believe there's so many recognizable names in this. So it'll be a nice surprise because that was what happened with this. As the credits were rolling for the new world, I was like, David Thewlis is in this. Christopher Plummer is in this. Uh, I just was like surprised by all those people. But anyway, yes, uh, really excited for Knight of Cups. And I guess we will talk to you next time. Thank you again so much for taking the time. It's always so good to hear your thoughts on the, these films and uh really just appreciate you um, digging into these with us thank you it's been fun i am really loving this series and i couldn't do it without bethany so thanks again to her next week on the show i'm not sure what we're going to discuss just yet but i'm watching lots of things there's some press screenings coming up which we don't get too often here in in arkansas so uh, but i'm watching some good stuff that way so something new and exciting in award season related will be on the show next time and then the episode after that it's more malik with his 2015 film night of cups and with that thank you thank you for listening to art house garage we've got a few years worth of episodes and you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice our theme music is by composer paul hunefeld learn more at appallingproductions.com if you want to support Arthouse Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. Or you can email me directly, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.